Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Joba Chamakosandu from Toronto in Canada. You know what we do here on the Brit Pack. We love to break down the fights that we've just watched at the weekend, preview what's coming up, bring you all the behind the scenes gossip and uh, drop a few nuggets of news in between as we go. And boy, Sandu, what a, what a weekend. We just had UFC 259, three title fights from the UFC Apex, and they gave us a little bit of everything. We had, uh, we had a big underdog winning. We had a dominant champion just absolutely destroying the opposition. And we have one of the most controversial endings to a title fight in UFC history. So first off, before we launch into it, you work fight night, same as me. I'm still recovering. I've got to be honest with you. How are you getting on uh, post-fight after UFC 259? I'm not too bad. I'm not going to lie. I've definitely had some shifts where I'm worse for wear on Sunday and I need that Monday to recover as well. But all things considered, I'm not too bad. And, and like you said, there was so much going on. Every fight was different and kind of ticked a different box when it comes to narrative storylines, you know, what's good for social media, uh, what the media was covering. And just I, I can't remember the last time there was so much going on in the news cycle outside of just the event itself. It's been a busy few days. Yeah, I mean, there was a le legitimately a headline level story for every fight in the top four fights on this fight card. Uh, and there were a, a few interesting things happened on the undercard as well. Everywhere you look, there was something going on. It's a big fight card. You just think, it was only a week ago, I think, was it like nine fights we had on a UFC fight night card because they lost so many fights? And we were talking about, well, the UFC are making, you know, they're leaving no room for error this week. They're putting 15 fights on the card. No pullouts. All 15 fights stayed intact. John Anik must be knackered right now. I called it bulletproof last week, Simon, and not a not a shot was fired on this one. <laughs> it's absolute madness, but it meant that the guys on commentary, Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik, had a marathon shift to put in. But they were they were blessed with a pretty cool fight card. I mean, there weren't there weren't too many duds among those 15 fights. Lots of finishes, lots of finishes, and plenty to talk about. But Let's just start at the very top of the card, shall we? Jan Blahovic versus Israel Adesanya. It almost, it almost felt like Jan Blahovic was the challenger headed into fight night. It was like everything was about Izzy and the fact that he was going for his second belt. It was Jan's first title defense. And it didn't really feel like until we got to fight day that people were really giving him any kind of any kind of credence at all. But actually, once we got to fight night, People were beginning to wake up to the fact. Hang on a minute, this guy's this guy's pretty tasty, and I think the constant uh, highlights of him starching the likes of Luke Rockhold, uh, Corey Anderson, and uh, obviously beating Dominic Reyes gave him gave him that sort of juice going in. And uh, I thought he fought super smart. I thought he fought really smart. There was a lot of talk about him taking Israel Adesanya down early. He didn't. He let Adesanya get comfortable. Uh, struck with him. In terms of effective strikes, outstruck Israel Adesanya, if you look at the stats, and then scored the takedowns in the championship rounds, which gave him the win on the scorecards. We'll talk about the scores in a minute because I think they're slightly slightly skewed, but I do think that the right man won. Did you think the right man won, Sandu? Absolutely. We have to start putting some more respect on Jan Blahovic's name. And I'm speaking for us because I'm not speaking for anybody else, but we have put respect on his name. We've been covering his career a long time, but even I have to hold my hands up. I did not expect at 38 years of age, Simon, for him to be putting on the kind of performance he did. This was a big one. The spotlight was massive on this event because everything was all about this juggernaut, the momentum that is the last style bender, Israel Adesanya, champ, champ stars, building on to some big super fights, maybe John Jones down the road, maybe a heavyweight fight down the road. There was none of this talk about Jan Blahovic. It was just like, this is a big fight for him. It's going to be the biggest paycheck he ever gets. Thanks for turning up, but this is the Israel Adesanya show. And my goodness, he put on a fantastic performance. No controversy whatsoever in the, the scorecards. Again, you could you know nitpick here and there with regards to the exact scorecard, but he won enough rounds. Um, and you know, good for, for Jan Blahovic, good for Polish MMA. And I have to give him credit. I have to give Izzy credit too, Simon. The way he handled himself, 
after that defeat, his very first defeat in the UFC, his very first defeat in MMA, he did the post-fight interview. He did a really lengthy post-fight press conference. He faced the music, and it's those moments where you see a real champion, quote-unquote. That's where you see the mindset of a man like Israel Adesanya who can answer all the questions, take it in his stride, knowing that the knives are going to be out on social media and, and, all, and all the rest of it. And Listen, if anything else... Now we've got some clear-cut direction with regards to where we're headed with the light heavyweight division, where we're headed in you know, so many words with the middleweight division. The only thing which kind of made me think, oh, what a missed opportunity here, Simon, when the UFC had a chance to just go right ahead and make Israel Adesanya versus John Jones, I did think, have, are we ever going to see it now? Has, has a fight of that magnitude, just given th how they were exchanging barbs on social media for months and months and months now. You know I've spoken about this before, Simon. At the end of the day, I love meritocracy. I love the idea of contenders, rightful contenders, getting their opportunities. But at the end of the day, this is about the biggest fights we can make that sells the most, that gets the most attention, gets the most eyeballs, that generates the most traffic. That's what this game is all built on. And I'm not sure, and I'm not certain anymore, if we're ever going to see John Jones versus Israel Adesanya. That is, I think, the biggest... That was the sort of the biggest casualty, if you like. I think Israel Adesanya losing his O, I don't think is a huge deal. I really don't. MMA is a sport where having an O next to your name is, is a rare thing indeed, especially when you've had as many fights as Adesanya has. Um, but it's not like it is in boxing. Adesanya even referenced it during the post-fight press conference. In boxing, people are obsessed with staying undefeated and records get padded to the hilt in order to you know, achieve and maintain that. At the top level of mixed martial arts, you, it's, it's almost impossible, almost impossible. Not totally, talk to Khabib, but it is pretty close to impossible. Um, and uh, Adesanya, took, as you say, he took it like a champ. And really did a good job of, of crediting Jan Blahovic as well, you know, and saying that if you're going to lose your, you know, your O to anybody, lose it to a man like Jan Blahovic, you know, a good man, a respectful guy, someone who's paid his dues in the sport. So I thought Israel did a great job. As for Jan Blahovic, absolutely superb. And he's he got the hopefully the big payday that uh, a fight with Adesanya hopefully brought him. Um, he rightfully then turned his attention to Glover Teixeira, who was there cage side on fight night and the knack and Dana White seems to be a, of, of a similar mind. That looks like that's going to be the next fight for uh, the legendary Polish power as he looks to retain his belt heading in further into 2021. And then the light, the light heavyweight division is up and running again. It's good news for the middleweight division because it means the champion isn't going to go on an extended holiday to light heavyweight or maybe even chase heavyweight at this point. He's coming back to 185. That's going to keep that division rolling. John Jones is moving up to heavyweight. But on the Adesanya versus Jones thing, I think we've lost it for now. But this is a funny old sport. This is a really funny old sport. It only takes... Imagine Francis Ngannou wins the belt and then faces John Jones. Francis Ngannou could knock out any human being on earth with one punch. I think we've seen evidence of this. If he absolutely mullers... John Jones in a heavyweight title fight, like really badly, really badly knocks him out. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that Jones then goes back down to 205. Experiment hasn't quite worked. Maybe he isn't, he isn't a heavy, a true heavyweight. Go back to 205. If Jones is at 205. That Adesanya fight is right back in the mix again. Because Adesanya did not look out of, um, he didn't look outgunned or outmuscled in that fight with Jan Blachowicz. He, he was the bigger man. Uh, he, he the rangier guy in there and he held his own in the clinches. Okay. He lost, he lost in the takedowns and all the rest of it, but he was certainly, certainly right in there. And, uh, I scored the fight 48, 47 to Jan Blachowicz. I didn't give any 10, eight rounds. I didn't, I didn't think Jan did enough on the ground to really warrant, have that, you know, that, have, have that extra difference in points. Um, but I certainly think that he deserved to win that fight. And it was, a, it was a huge fight for the light heavyweight division, for the middleweight division, and uh, I think if you're if if you like order in mixed martial arts, and we don't always get it very often, this was the result you needed because it keeps everything nicely set. Um, and 
Now it'll be a case of title defences for both those guys moving forward. Speaking of title defences, Sandu, we have a problem. How do you solve a problem like Amanda Nunes, Sandu? For two reasons. Number one, who the hell is going to beat this woman? That's number one, right? There, There is nobody in the UFC, potentially with the exception of Valentina Shevchenko, who has come remotely close to beating her, certainly since... Uh, you know, since since she's become a champion, obviously Kat Zingano beat her earlier in her career. But since she's since she's become a UFC champion, the only one to really come close is Valentina Shevchenko in a fight that I thought that Shevchenko won. But other than that, she's just blown everybody away. She took on Megan Anderson on Saturday night. The only really natural featherweight in, if you can call it the women's featherweight division, because there aren't any fighters in it. There's like four fighters in that division, I think. Um, She's the only really natural featherweight in that division. And Amanda Nunes just crushed her, absolutely crushed her in just over two minutes. And I did uh, a recorded spinning back click for MMA Junkie earlier today. And I asked this question. I'll ask it to you because this is this is genuinely what I think. Has Amanda Nunes just killed the featherweight division for women in the UFC, Sandy? What do you reckon? I don't think she's killed it because she's still A, a champion, B, wants to retain her champ, champ status. And see, every time she fights that featherweight, she's getting pay-per-view points, right? So from her perspective, no. I think it's more a case of the UFC just finding an opponent. I don't think she's going to be defending and shouldn't be defending her featherweight championship for the remainder of 2020. Because first of all, let me just go and look at the UFC featherweight rankings. Oh, oh yeah, there's nobody there because there, there are no rankings. There's a, there's a handful of fighters only. You've got Daniela Wolf, who's 1-0 in MMA, fighting Felicia Spencer very, very soon. Maybe it takes someone like, I don't know, um, a, a Kayla Harrison um, after this 2020 PFL season is wrapped up and she becomes a free agent if the UFC are able to sign her and bring her on board and if she's willing to drop down to 145 again, which she's done now, uh, and compete, then that's, that's that would be a big money fight. But I think for the time being... Amanda Nunes just kind of refocuses on the bantamweight division where there are plenty of fighters. There's some potential rematches for her down the road. Juliana Pena versus Holly Holm that was currently booked is now off because Holly Holm is injured. Juliana Pena is someone that's used her, you know, post-fight interview skills on the mic very, very well. Uh, and she's been calling for a, a title fight against Amanda Nunes. That would be a fresh matchup. Uh, and an interesting fight as well, stylistically. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm Amanda Nunes, like, if you're going in there, blasting the competition, getting the job done within a matter of minutes, I know you said, Simon, she should take the the, the year off and enjoy being a mum. I'm now the opposite. I'm like, screw that. Keep Keep competing, keep fighting, and keep collecting those paychecks because you have shown time and time again you are so many levels above everybody else. You're in your prime. You're a champion. You're getting pay-per-view points. Why not compete maybe two more times this year at 135 pounds? Once against maybe Juliana Pena, and then maybe at the end of the year, they could do the Shevchenko fight one more time or somebody else at Bantamweight. But if I'm Amanda Nunes right now, I mean, I'm on top of the world. I'm at the peak of my powers. I'm at the peak of my you know, earning potential as a champion in two different weight classes. Keep that train rolling, man. Yeah. I mean, just, just to clarify, Amanda Nunes, I'm sure, will take any fight that she's offered. 45 or 35. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's an issue there. The problem solely lies with the UFC because I think we mentioned it on last week's show, the Demetrius Johnson problem where you've got someone who is just so much better than everybody else in their weight class and has pretty much cleaned out the division. There is not really a division to clean out at 145 pounds. That's why I'm concerned about what they might do. There are only two fights of any intrigue at 145 pounds in women's MMA globally. And that is Amanda Nunes versus Kayla Harrison. Massive experience advantage for Amanda Nunes. And Kayla Harrison isn't likely to be going anywhere for a year. Then you've got an even bigger um, experience discrepancy, but a fight that would undoubtedly sell is Claressa Shields. And you could even try and do 
a double header with that. That's something that Caressa, Caressa Shields pitched for when we interviewed her in Vegas at UFC 2, I think it was 46. Um, it might be 245, maybe 245, 246. Um, she was backstage in Vegas for that, and we interviewed her for about 20 minutes, I think. And um, she was up for doing a boxing match and an MMA fight with Amanda Nunes. But that's also not feasible. She's contracted with the PFL. So both of those fights are not on the table. They're not going to be on the table for minimum 12 months. And even then, those fighters arguably aren't going to have the resume really to be thrown in there with Nunes, although they probably would be. So you've got a whole year of nothing happening at 145 pounds. I worry that the division might just get shuttered because there's no sign of anybody coming through. 35, yeah, there's options. There's a few options. Aspen Lad, ranked number three. She's had injury problems, but she's young. She's very talented and she's moving in the right direction. You've got obviously the Shevchenko rematch and the fight that I think is the one that's going to get booked. And you mentioned it earlier is the Juliana Pena fight. Um, and that would be a stylistic test for Nunes because Pena is just a pressure fighter. She'll take you down and just weigh on you heavy throughout that. So fingers crossed we get to see more of Amanda Nunes in 2021, but the number of competitive fights left on the table is running out pretty sharp. Um, let's have a look at the Bantamweight title fight, Sandy. This is the one I nearly said we should start with this because this is, this is one of the craziest things I've seen in a long time in MMA, not because it was outlandish, not because it was spectacular, just because I've never seen it before. This is the first time we've ever seen a title change hands in the UFC via disqualification. Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. I think most people, myself included, were of the view that Peter Yan was getting hold of that fight. Sterling started fast. Yan took a little bit of time to sort of catch up with the pace and then started to really take over. He dropped Sterling and then he really started to take over. Round four, Sterling has failed to complete a takedown. He's on his knees. He goes up, he's on one knee. There's, a, there's an exchange between the referee and Peter Yan, who tells him he's grounded or he's down or something like that, just letting him know that Sterling is a grounded fighter. Then Yan has an exchange with his corner, who were initially shouting in English, punches only, punches only. Then he shouts something back at the corner, who then respond in Russian, Next thing, wallop, knee to the knee to the dome. Aljamain Sterling's got a little Tweety Birds flying around his head, and uh, after a little bit of a uh, little bit of faffing about with the uh, the referee and the doctor, the fight got waved off, which it really should have been waved off straight away. But um, Aljamain Sterling wins the belt by DQ. This is not the WWE, Sandu. You you know you can't the belt can't change hands with a DQ in the WWE, but. You can win a fight by disqualification in MMA. You can win a fight by knockout submission, points, or disqualification. Aljamain Sterling won by DQ. But the problem he's got is no one thinks he's, he's the legitimate champion right now, and that's a bit sad. Oh, Simon, what a moment. What a moment of controversy. It's one of the biggest talking points we've had in a while. I pretty much concur with everything that you said. I feel like the ref in combination perhaps with the doctor should have just stepped in and waved her off right away. Don't leave a decision like that, you know, in the hands of the fighter. We saw what happened not too long ago between John Jones and Anthony Smith. These are alpha males and alpha females. They have no quit in them in that respect, especially with no fans. And you can hear everything. You can hear the commentators. You could probably hear Dana White, the cornerman, and all the rest of it. Imagine the pressure the referee must be under in that moment. But that's your job. You know, you have to negate that and you just got to, you know, do the right thing. And, you know, he was whispering in the doctor's ear and the doctor spoke to Aljamain Sterling twice. I don't know what for and what, what kind of, I guess, response they were trying to get from Aljamain in that situation. They should have just called it off. But it's bizarre. We have this rule. It's never been activated before. Like I said, it, it almost happened in the Anthony Smith John Jones fight. But now we have evidence, we have a case study to talk about. And first things first, I think by the letter of the law and the rules as they currently stand, the right, the right thing happened, right? It's unfortunate because Peter Yan was winning on the scorecards uh, and he, I think he was well on course to win that fourth round. Who knows? Maybe at some point in the fifth, he could have even finished the fight. Maybe even in the fourth round, the way things were going, had he not need Aljamain, right? 
So it's unfortunate that Peter Jan's you know, short reign has already come to an end, number one. Number two, Aljamain Sterling took it upon himself to say, hey, hang on a second, I want to get involved with the post-fight interview. All right, cool, fair enough. You want to say your side and you, you want to say your piece? No problem with that whatsoever. But then uh, Simon, Jesus Christ, he's going on social media. The event's not even over. The event's not even over and he's already tweeting. And then we see these images you know, appear on social media where he's celebrating, taking pictures with the belt. And on the one hand, you've got this sympathy. You're crying. You're upset. You're, you're throwing the belt away in the, in the ring, in, in, in the cage rather. But then all of a sudden on social media, you're, you're, you're posing with the belt. And I'm sure you felt it, Simon. I certainly felt it. I had friends hitting me up saying, what the hell is going on here? Was he just playing it up? Was he just acting and all the rest of it? Now, you and me, we're not going to sit here and say anything like that. We've got far too much respect for these fighters. And, you know, we're pretty certain, you know, he was stunned. And again, the right decision happened. But he hasn't done himself any favors. He hasn't done himself any favors. And the worst thing was this whole posing and facing off with Henry Cejudo. I mean, Jesus Christ. First of all, that's not the biggest fight for you right now. Henry Cejudo is quote-unquote retired, but he's kept himself in the news cycle. And the more he does that, it's like, are, are people really care, caring if he comes back or not at this point? The big fight, Aljamain, is the rematch of Peter Yan. Because that's the controversial moment of the weekend. That's what everyone's talking about. And a rematch with Peter Yan is now a much bigger fight than the first time around. And you're the champion and you're getting pay-per-view points. That's the story. You spoke about it earlier on, Simon. This doesn't happen in the WWE. But this was a, uh, this was a page straight out of the pro wrestling book in terms of what transpired in this event. It's madness. I mean, I think the only thing Sterling did wrong in this was post those things to social media. Now, I'm not saying that posting pictures with a championship belt and being happy after after becoming a world champion is wrong. I don't think it is wrong, but timing is everything, right? You know, I, th I think be aware of your surroundings, be aware of the conditions in which you won the belt. And, you know, I, I just think that ill-advised is the best way to describe it. I mean, we've both had the, had the pleasure of Aljo's company at, at events and he's a top man. He's a really nice guy. And uh, I was delighted that he won for in person on a personal level that he got to achieve his dream of becoming a world champion. But given the circumstances around it, I think you need to be a little bit aware of, of the scenario in which you did it. And I just think if he'd have waited a, a day, two days, and then maybe posted pictures taken a couple of days later, you know, all, all is well guys. You know, I'm obviously proud as hell to be world champion, but we all want to. We all want to make. You know, we all want to do this properly. Let's get this rematch booked. I think that's 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 the direction you take it in. But when you become a world champion, and that's that's been your lifelong quest and your lifelong dream, regardless of how you got there, you're gonna be absolutely over the moon once you've processed the you know the controversy and all the rest of it, and then you just look at what you're left with which is another win in your record and a big gold championship belt in your hands and a completed dream. Yeah. You're going to be pretty happy about it. Right. So I think I th I'll give him a, I, I think we should give the man a pass um, because you know, this isn't, this isn't just any old fight. This, this, this was a world title fight. So I don't think he was milking it. I think he was clearly, clearly not with it. And the referee, to be honest, the referee's hesitation only served to make it look worse for Aljo. I don't think it helped Aljo. Aljo was definitely in no, no position to continue. That fight should have been waved off instantly. He should have asked Aljo to stand up, and if Aljo couldn't stand up, he's right, fight's over. Then he decides, was it accidental? Was it deliberate? He told the doctor straight away it was a deliberate foul because he told him that he was grounded, and then he need him. So there's no processing time needed. I think... And this this might be a little controversial to suggest this. I think Mark Smith probably didn't want to make that decision. I think he wanted to give Aljo every opportunity to turn around and go, no, I can carry on because that takes the heat off the ref. The ref can then just carry on 
and officiate the fight and the fight can go however the fight goes. That's a, it was a really difficult spot for Mark Smith to be in. He made the right call. He made the right call. I just think that I wonder whether there was an element of hesitancy as he was doing it. And without that hesitancy, we would have had a much clearer cut scenario. I think that there would have been a far less hate flying around for Aljo. And I think we could move on from it a lot quicker. But the thing it reminded me of, and I think it was Kevin Ioli uh, on Twitter, was that he, he must have been thinking the same as me. If you haven't seen it, Sandu, look up the boxing match from the July the 11th, 1996, Madison Square Garden. Riddick Bowe versus Andrew Galotta. Andrew Galotta was his big Polish heavyweight. Uh, he had a little bit of the Ivan Dragos about him. Um, he was unbeaten, 28-0, 25 KOs, fighting for the world title against Riddick Bowe. Um, was it, I, th I think it was for the world title. And he was absolutely beating Riddick Bowe from pillar to post beating him up, but he couldn't finish him. And he got frustrated and he just started nutshotting him, like repeatedly. Um, and I think he hit him with like three or four nutshots in the space of like two rounds. Like proper solid uppercuts inside the pocket, wallop. And he, he ended up getting disqualified. Um, and there was a riot outside the ring and all, all sorts. Of, but this was a guy who had it already there. It was there for him to get the biggest win of his career. And mentally, he made a massive error and he never recovered from that in his career. It's a weird thing. I hope Peter Yan doesn't have that problem. I think he just followed a really, really bad piece of advice from his corner. Uh, and we get the fight back. And whether Aljo wins the rematch or whether Yan wins the rematch, we just want a definitive, a definitive result, whether it be the scorecards or a TKO or submission next time round. Definitely. Because we don't want more. We, we, we cannot have more controversy in the rematch. I don't think the sport can handle it. Just two final things on this, Simon, for me. And that number one is, well, actually, no, three things. Number one, this has to be the fight that the UFC makes. It has to be the rematch. Oh, yeah. I don't want to yeah. see Henry Cejudo come back and and insert himself into the picture to, to fight Aljamain Sterling. I think everybody would be just up in arms if that was to happen. Number two is it'll be interesting to see if and when this rematch goes down, how Aljamain approaches it. Because with how things played out on Saturday night, it felt like he just hit. He went out of neutral into fifth gear straight away. And by some point in the second round, I felt like the gas was gone. And, there, and you could tell definitely the third and most definitely the fourth, he was running on empty. All right. So if anything, this is a blessing in disguise perhaps for Al Jermaine to go back with his team to strategize one more time to figure out the problem that is Peter Yan, how to approach the fight, how best to utilize his own skill set, because that fight was only going in one direction, and that was taking an L. Finally, the final thing I want to say on this, I feel like there needs to be a rule change. I feel like whoever's in charge, whether it's the commissions, the UFC, you know, the powers that be in this sport and in this industry, I would love to see a rule change where in championship fights, when there's a disqualification, the belt just becomes vacant. You know, because for the for the guy that won it, it's it hasn't really been earned. Now I, I know it kind of sucks because when you win the championship, Simon, that's when you start to make the real big money, right? That's when you start to get pay-per-view points and all the rest of it. And I can completely understand if a fighter makes a decision like you know, Al Jermaine did all that the referee did on his behalf not to continue because you become champion, you're going to get a bigger payday. Um, but moving forward, I'd love to see some sort of rule change where if something like that happens, all right, the belt is now stripped, it becomes vacant, you do an immediate rematch. You do a rematch where no one is the champion and it's just a vacated belt and the two men involved in the, in the DQ are once again fighting for that title. That, I think, would make everybody else feel a little bit better and it'll be an easier narrative in kind of post-fight reaction to talk about it where the fight ended in controversial terms it was a disqualification but no one's marred with a with, with a bad paintbrush here because right now i'm sure al Jermaine sterling his his social media is toxic as hell some of that he has brought on himself 
But a lot of it perhaps would have, was brought on way before the Henry Cejudo post, way before him posing with the belt. I think because of the apex being so quiet, you can hear everything. And I am absolutely certain the man was concussed in that moment. And he was trying to figure out his bearings and all the rest of it. But you know how some fans are, Simon. Some fans so fickle, they'll pick up on every little word, every facial expression during that exchange with the referee and the doctor. And like, oh, he's, 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 here's an Oscar-winning performance from Aljamain Sterling, right? So anyway, that's my, that's my two cents on it. I think moving forward, they should have a rule change there. Let me respond to that because I don't agree. And I'll tell you well, why. I understand the thinking behind it. And the thinking behind it is sound, right? I just don't think that's how it would play, how it would play out. Imagine if that rule was in place this past weekend. Do you honestly think that Aljo would be getting any less stick than he is now? Because Yan was the champion, right? And Aljo was losing the fight. So if we take the view that, okay, you lose, or uh, sorry, you know, there's, there's, there's some sort of DQ, but you know that there's going to be a rematch, then people could say, well, Aljo knew, Al knew he was going to get a rematch if he just stayed down because he was losing this one. So, you know, cut your losses, stay down. You're going to get another go. And the belt will still be up for grabs anyway. So I don't think in this situation it would have made that much of a difference. I think the only thing that you take out of it is that obviously you wouldn't have the social media photos with the belt and you wouldn't have the face off with Cejudo. That's just, I just think that's 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 a PR mistake. Um, I don't think that should affect the rules. Fans are gonna do what they do. I don't think we can do much about that. I think I mean I think disqualification is just as a just as a legitimate way of winning as any other method. If someone has basically cheated in an attempt to beat you, whether it be, um, I'm not saying Yan cheated. Let me, let me, let me rephrase this. It was a deliberate foul. He did. He meant to knee him in the head, but it, the knee didn't come from wanting to cheat. The knee came from a complete balls up in his corner and them telling him that he was okay to do that. Um, and in the heat of the moment, Yan didn't recognise that he shouldn't have done. But it was a deliberate foul. So if there's a deliberate foul, you, you should be penalised for that. It's just like like cage grabs. And it's exactly the same as... Because if you argue this, how far do you go? Because then you talk about, okay, what about point deductions for cage grabs and things like this? And can you win a title on a point deduction? Well, of course you can. So I, I don't think you can do that. I think you have to have a disqualification aspect there. Um, because it's just, that is the ultimate sanction below that. You've got point deductions and they're all, they should all be treated the same. Um, it just so happens that DQ is, 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 is a final thing normally because the action has ended the fight already. So, um, I think you've got to have it there. It is totally not, um, a satisfactory way to end a fight, but I do think you need it. It's, it's like a fail safe for the system. You have to have it there. I think. But yeah, absolutely. In a situation like this, the rematch, there should be not even a minute's hesitation on what to do next. Rebook the fight. If you weren't, if the if the UFC weren't content with how this fight has panned out, for example, if Sterling had bossed every round and was cruising to a decision, and this had happened, you could argue he was absolutely dominating Yan. Yan doesn't deserve the rematch. He should go face someone else. But Yan was winning this fight. He was winning the fight on the scorecards. He was winning the fight in the eyes of most people watching. The momentum was on his side, and then he, he slipped up, made a mistake, lost by DQ. He did a rematch. So I think you need it there. I understand where you're coming from, and there's total sense to it. But I think from a system point of view and from a sanctioning of, of fighters during fights point of view, you have to have that there. Because otherwise, it makes a point deduction, weirdly, more damaging to a fighter's championship hopes than a disqualification. You might as well get disqualified. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very weird. Well, you don't want to get disqualified. And again, let me uh, add some more to my point. You get another go. If you get disqualified, you get a do-over. If you lose from a point deduction, there's no guarantee of a rematch. But if you lose from a disqualification and we have this rematch thing as part of it, it's just it's like, it's like taking a mulligan. So I, I don't, well, I, I, that's the thing I'm not sure about. Well, if you get disqualified, number one, you've got an L in your record, so you're going to take a loss. Number two, yeah. if, if you vacate the belt, like I suggest, you're not going to be entering that situation as a champion and getting pay-per-view points. 
right? So that's going to be detrimental to you regardless of the fact. And finally, there's never a guarantee of a rematch. There could be a number of different things that can happen post-fight that could lead to some other fight taking being held and, and taking place. It could be injury, it could be suspension, it could be a, a number of different things. So there's no guarantee, oh, let me just get disqualified because I could do a do-over in a couple of months. No guarantee of that. Now, I feel like the biggest thing and the reason why I feel like there should be a vacated championship belt in a situation like this is no one can take Aljamain ser um, seriously as a champion right now because he didn't quote-unquote beat the champion. He didn't beat Peter Young. He was awarded the victory via disqualification, but you 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 wearing the championship belt. I don't view you as a champion. You know, I don't I don't see you as the best 135 pound fighter in, in mixed martial arts. I just don't see it, and that's a problem people are going to be uh, facing in terms of how he is represented in the sport right now. I think if you take that away and you dangle the carrot on top, say, listen, the the title's vacated. Hey, Peter, can you go? Can you go again in a couple of months? Because Al Jermaine can go. We're going we're gonna to cater the rematch or we're, we're going to cater the next championship fight in favor of Al Jermaine's timeline here, right? So again, to your point, so it's not all in favor of the previous champion. Yeah. We're going to book it for July. Hey, Peter, can you go in July? Sorry, I've got a hamstring issue or I've got an, uh, an injury. I can't make it. Cool. Too bad. We're going to move forward with the division, right? We're not going to cater to you. We're not going to do you any favors here because you got disqualified. That was on you. That was your problem. That was so. I think there's ways in terms of language and how you can do things. Again, it's a bit of a, a, a you know a weird one in terms of the rules of mixed martial arts versus the opportunities that are available to you in the UFC and, and all the rest of it. But I'll, I'll say this much again: I don't blame Aljamain Sterling and I don't blame the situation whatsoever. Like you said, absolute top lad. I like him a lot. He's carried himself with you know, all the respect in the world in, in the past. Um, and, you know, like I said, and we've sp spoken about this before on many, many occasions, Simon, opportunities to earn the real big paydays are few and far between. And the one thing that helps you get those big paydays is that UFC championship belt. So I hope Al Jermaine Sterling can, uh, can reap the rewards in the rematch and, and hopefully behind the scenes negotiate, a, a, you know, as better, a, biggest deal as he possibly can because that's the money fight the peter yan rematch is now the money fight at 135 pounds oh absolutely i mean that that division was already arguably the most along with lightweight i think bantamweight is the most exciting division in the ufc right now and and i agree you know, yeah when it comes to talking about the whole disqualification thing here's the thing the reason why i think we're, we're having this discussion and why it's interesting this has never happened before yeah. This has not happened before. You know, this is such a rare thing. It's like, you know, it, <laughs> when you write a rule book and you put things in place, it's to try and mitigate all the different all the different outcomes. This is one that has never really been seen. It's obviously the rule is in the rule book because we know what's happened, but it's it is a strange one and there are there, there's definitely there's definitely an issue there insofar as what you say about a guy isn't being taken as a legitimate champion. Um, I'm, if I'm talking about it, black and white, he is a legitimate champion because he won the fight. The manner in which he won the fight, isn't the traditional way that you would win a fight. It's just that the method by which he won, uh, was by some distance, the least common way you can win a fight, but it's in the book that you can win by, by DQ. Um, it is by far the least satisfactory way you can win a fight not just for the guy who won, but for obviously everybody else watching, you want to see a proper, a proper in quotation marks result, you know, knockout submission decision. Um, so hopefully we get that with no controversy. And as you say, that's a huge fight. Henry Cejudo, if he wants to come back, come back, fight TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw is looking for a fight right now. Fight TJ Dillashaw again. That's an absolute banger. Whoever wins that fight, number one contender or right in there with a shout. And uh, back in the mix, who knows? But yeah, bantamweight is crazy right now. And um, you know, a rematch maybe in the summer, sort of late late summer, would would make a lot of sense. If, assuming everybody is okay, I think Dana White at a post fight press conference said that um, Aljo Aljo got checked out um, after the fight and was okay, no no lasting effects. So he'll just be on a regular medical medical suspension, like thirty days or whatever it is, uh, maybe sixty, and then after that he'll be fine. So um, yeah. Let's quickly wrap up this main card, Sandy, before we before we quickly throw forward to some other bits. Is that Makachev versus Drew Dober? I was really looking forward to this fight. Big fight at 155 pounds. 
there's it's very top heavy at lightweight right now. And Islam Makachev was kind of like the guy playing musical chairs who didn't have a chair to sit on. Um, there's all these matches being made, and Makachev is the guy that no one was really putting their hand up to fight. Drew Dober put his hand up, said, I'll fight him. And uh, very confident going in, thought he could thought he could really do something. Makachev really showed his class in this fight. Superb submission victory, really dominated Dober with his wrestling and uh, got that got that uh, triangle choke, arm, sorry, arm triangle choke submission um, in, in the third round. The question now, Sandu, who do you match him against? Because I've got a name right here and I wrote about it on Sunday for MMA Junkie. For me, there is an obvious person this guy should fight, but I want to know who you, who, who you think he should fight next. Well, he spoke to Caroline Pierce, who was the on-site BT Sport correspondent doing backstage interviews. And and he, and Islam was the one that mentioned Tony Ferguson. And I'm like, that is the one, mate. That is a great fight because, number one, it's someone who's a former interim lightweight champion. It's a step up in competition. One of the greatest lightweights of all time to never become a fully-fledged, undisputed champion. There's obviously the history there baked in with Khabib and all the trash talk and the, the, the exchange of barbs and words they've had over the years. And the Khabib fight never happened. And if I'm Tony Ferguson, I am snapping that fight up ASAP. Because I tell you what, if there is any hope, any chance to try and lure Khabib out of retirement, to try and get that fight that was booked a million times and never came to fruition. Can you imagine if Tony Ferguson defeats Islam Makachev and Khabib is in his corner and Tony is just going at Khabib saying, I just beat your boy. Now what are you going to do? That's that. that I mean, that's a storyline straight out of pro wrestling, I know. But yeah, Islam Makachev, El Kakui, that's the fight, Simon. That I think is the fight we're most likely to get. I, I the fight that if, if I was him, I would be aiming above that. I'll be aiming higher than that. I'd be saying, I'm the guy in the division no one wants to fight. Who else is the guy in this division who's right at the top who no one else wants to fight? Charlie Olives. Call out Charles Oliveira. Fancy yourself as a grappler, Charlie boy. I've got some Sambo that says you aren't, right? Let's get in there. Let's do Sambo versus Jiu-Jitsu. Um, Eldar Eldarov, who I think is the super lightweight champion for Brave. FC, the Bahraini promotion, former corner man of Khabib Nurmagomedov. When Nurmagomedov fought, I think it was Gleason Tebow in Brazil, um, Eldorov gave Khabib a T-shirt that said, if if Sambo was easy, they'd call it jiu-jitsu, right? And uh, he and the team all wore these T-shirts and it really pissed the Brazilians off a treat. And uh, it's become a bit of a catchphrase now. And uh, they could they could bring that back out of retirement. Um, and... Uh, take on Charles Oliveira stylistically I would love to see that fight probably the most suffocating wrestler in the division not called Khabib Magomedov versus the best submission specialist in the division I think that would be outstanding but if you told me that they booked uh Makachev versus Tony Ferguson you can take my money I'll be quite happy with that wouldn't it be ironic to get to fight night and Tony Ferguson is standing for the announcements Bruce Buffer's in the middle, announcing the fighters. Tony Ferguson's there. He's staring across the cage. Who does he see? He sees Islam Makachev, front and centre. But who's that standing just behind him? Khabib Nurmagomedov, the guy who he's desperately wanted to stand across the cage from for, what is it, four years now? Five years? And finally, he gets to do it. There's a fence in the way. And there's Khabib's teammate in the way because Khabib is now retired. He's the corner man. And it's like ships that pass in the night. It's the old sliding doors thing. So he doesn't get to fight Khabib. He gets to fight Makachev. But if he beats Makachev, oh boy, the post-fight interview would be very, very fun to watch. I think that would be awesome. So yeah, if they book that, I would not hate that at all. I would not hate that at all. But if I was Makachev, I'd be shooting as high as possible. I'd say, Charlie Olives, just do it. Because I think Oliveira would take that fight if he needed to. So um be very interesting to see to see what's next for him, because he's definitely on an upward trajectory. Just to wrap things up, Alexander Rakic against Thiago Santos. We were hoping for some fireworks in this fight and didn't really get them, did we? It wasn't it wasn't the big explosive slug striking slugfest that we were hoping for. It was very tactical. Uh, both guys tended to keep their distance. Rakic got the win on the scorecards, called for a title shot. He's not going to get one. He's gonna have to he's gonna have to face 
uh, another light heavyweight contender, probably the winner of the Dominic Reyes Jiri Prohaska fight, which is happening uh, a little bit later uh, this spring. So sit around and look out for the winner for that. That is probably going to be Rakic's next opponent. Um, that's pretty much it for UFC 259. Other than Dominic Cruz calling out a sponsorship exec from Monster Energy after his win, which was which was an interesting one. There's calling him a clout chaser, accusing him of um, getting fighters to like his posts and all this sort of stuff. This isn't the sort of thing you normally expect in MMA. It's normally it's normally just like you you know your jujitsu sucks or you can't strike or you know. I don't like I don't like the way you carry yourself, but it's not like oh yeah, there's a guy who doesn't even. I think he's a he, he said he's fought three times. I think this this guy uh, Hans Mullenkamp, but Dominic Cruz is a former bantamweight champion of the world, and he's a lot lighter, a lot smaller. Wants to do a charity fight with him. Simple question, Sandu: Should this fight happen? A little charity fight, Dominic Cruz, Hans Mullenkamp, whether it's in a you know a little gym or something somewhere. He shouldn't be doing that, should he? Let me take this, Simon. I couldn't give a monkey's if this fight were to happen or not. I think the bigger picture and the bigger story here, and this is real deep inside MMA industry stuff. I think the vast majority of people that were tuning in to UFC 259 on the weekend had no idea, don't know who Hans Mollenkamp is, were like confused. I think people that have been working in the business and the industry for a long time kind of sort of understand where Dominic was coming from, sort of understand the sponsorship game, know that there are some individuals that aren't fighters, but there are they are involved in some capacity, whether it be through management, through sponsorship, that try and get fighters to put them over, like you mentioned, clout chasing and all the rest of it. Tag me in your picture, take a picture with me, you know, I'm let me control your social media handle and, and, and all that stuff. And listen, if there's an issue with a major brand like Monster Energy, who is, they are one of the biggest sponsors in mixed martial arts. They sponsor the UFC, they sponsor Bellator, they're, they're everywhere. And if there's an issue at the moment, or perhaps an issue that's been going on behind the scenes for some time now with regards to some of their clients not getting paid unless some of the accusations Dominic Cruz made in his post by interview are true, then you have to applaud someone like Dominic Cruz, who's got some serious stature in the business for using an opportunity like that, because it was before the pay-per-view started. So the, the most eyeballs are going to be on that ESPN, you know, widely telecast you know, broadcast there. For him to use that platform, to call him out, um, listen, man, you got you could take your hat off to him because I'm sure there are other fighters and other clients that perhaps if they are going through what Dominic Cruz has suggested fighters are going through, maybe don't have the voice or the platform to speak. And let me tell you something, Simon, Dominic Cruz on the microphone, man, this guy, he, he's money, man. doesn't matter if he's calling out a, a, a fighter, a rival, a peer, or, or a sponsorship guy, he will destroy you on the microphone. He is the cerebral assassin when it comes to how he uses the gift of the gab. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And the thing with Monster, they're not just huge in combat sports. They're huge everywhere. Like, mm. if you're a petrol head like me, I'll watch every motorsport I can I can get my hands on. Monster Energy sponsor everybody. Like, they're all over They're all over stuff. You know, you think Ken Block, that the uh, the incredible drift drift uh, drift racer, stunt driver, does those incredible videos on YouTube. His car's covered in Monster Energy stuff. Valentino Rossi, the greatest motorcycle racer in the history of the planet, sponsored by Monster Energy. A load of the guys in MotoGP, sponsored by Monster Energy. Formula One, I think they might even have a bit of sponsorship knocking around there. Um, so they are, they're a big deal. We're talking about the conduct of one guy. The, sorry, the alleged conduct of one guy. And if there is an issue, if there is an issue then that issue is really for Monster to deal with. Um, it shouldn't mean that Monster are out of the MMA business or out of the UFC business or whatever it might be. It's more an issue of if this guy's stepping out of his stepping out of his lane and trying to feather his own nest in a, in a way that isn't putting the company over in the right way, then that needs dealing with. But does it need a charity fight? No. 
I think Cruz has made his point now, and I think that that's all it needs to be. But uh, aside from that, he beat he, he beat Casey Kenny, who was on a bit of a run, beaten by split decision. Uh, as Cruz said post fight, he's used to the odd split decision over the years, so um, he's not sure what he wants to do next, who he wants to fight next. But he's still a factor at 135 pounds, as we say. Bantamweight is a fun division. Kyler Phillips just before him beat defeated Song Yudong by unanimous decision. Kyler Phillips is one to watch in 2021. He looks very, very, very good. That's UFC 259. Loads going on. So many stories. And we're gonna we're gonna follow some of them through the year, I think, with the way some of these things have panned out. But um before we quickly throw forward to what's happening this weekend, Sander, you've got a couple of bits and pieces to to take off the old news wire there. Yeah, I thought this was a big story as we record the podcast today, Simon. So Verdict MMA, which is an app you can download if you're on Apple or if you're on Android, and it's a fan scoring app. So you, you watch the fights, and after every round, you've got 60 seconds uh, to get your, your scorecard in and, and all the rest of it. And then you know prior to that, you can, you know, present your picks and there's it's a fun little community there and they've been building some momentum on social media and it's always interesting to see a verdict global scorecard based upon thousands of scorecards submitted from around the world as an aggregate via a decimal point system in comparison to some of the controversial cage side official scorecards from the judges and lo and behold today the Professional Fighters League have announced a partnership with Verdict MMA. Now, this isn't going to be the official scorecard. Um, that's going to still be the responsibility of the commission. But PFL are going to be broadcasting or integrating the Verdict Global Scorecard into their broadcasts. So a fight's over. You see the official scorecard by the judges and then within moments of that happening, you're going to see the Verdict Global Scorecard pop up on your screen. I think this is fun, Simon. I think this is going to add to the narrative and it's going to start to, I guess, showcase to people that whether the judges get it right or wrong, it's interesting and fascinating to see a scorecard presented based upon a large sample size. I've been following Verdict for quite some time. I have yet to come across a scorecard that I don't agree with. And I think it's fascinating that a major MMA promotion has taken a leap of faith in collaborating and and and, and partnering up. And honestly, this is so on brand for PFL, Simon. I worked there for a year. I know this. They are all about data and analytics, fan integration, uh, driving people to watch their shows live. This is a great way to do it because now users of Verdict, you know, they're scoring the fights and all of a sudden you are part of a community where the scorecard is going to be popping up on your TV screen. So it's from your mobile phone to the TV screen. I think it's a fan fantastic activation. It's also some brand new sellable inventory for the PFL sponsorship team. And yeah, I think this is fun and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because for the very first time, we're going to be able to say, hey, these are the fights on the PFL broadcast. Here's what the judges uh, thought, and here's what the verdict community presented, especially if there's a controversial decision. And you know, Simon, we get them pretty much every weekend in this sport. So I think it's a, an interesting, fun, and pretty major news story uh, to keep an eye on for 2021. Yeah, I think I think it's fun. I think, you know, they, they already have their uh, smart cage, don't they, P the, the PFL, which they, they use to to record out of the ordinary fight stats. Other than just punches, it's like punch speed and things like that. I, I, it just adds another layer of interest, especially American sport is all about stats. It's everything about American sport is about stats. And just in my career covering sport for the last 20 years, I've seen how the coverage of sport has changed massively, particularly here in England, where sport wasn't really that stat-driven. Other than cricket, which is entirely a stats-based sport, really, everything else was kind of fluid, and stats were kind of there, but they didn't, you know, they weren't really brought up that much. Now, it is an integral part of the narrative of virtually every sport you can think of, but particularly football, you know, Opta, um, 
my first ever paid job in sports media. I co-wrote Opta's first ever Premier League yearbook, 1999-2000 season. Um, wow, 20 years yeah. ago almost, more, more than that. Shelf actually, it's 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 like a it's like a little telephone book. It's really thick, but um, but the amount of like like just the amount of stats involved in that back then, and um, that's just it's gone up to new levels now. And analytics and everything about it, you know, stats stats are everything. So people are interested in that sort of stuff now. Before you had to be a bit of a bit of a geek, sport geek, to really be into that stuff. Now. It is part of the narrative. If there weren't stats there, it would look weird, no matter what sport you were looking at. So to have that sort of thing in MMA is great. And I was talking to you before we came on air, and we were talking about this this verdict thing. And uh, with, in fact, Dana White post fight was complaining about the amount of ten eights we're seeing, and he said it's getting out of control. And he disagreed with, I think, two judges gave Jan Blahovic a ten eight in the last round against Adesanya. Didn't affect the result in any way. Just made the the margin of victory look bigger. But it again, it talks about uh, like open scoring and things like this. And Invicta FC have done this, but I think it's commission dependent. But using something like verdict, you kind of got a solution there, which doesn't. It means you don't have to have open scoring with the actual judges. But what it does do, it allows the it it allows the viewers. And potentially the fighters, if you want to integrate it into the arena somehow, the opportunity to get a sense for how the fight is being viewed externally. Um, I think that's a win. I really do. I think it's a great addition. I think the UFC have missed a trick. I think the UFC could have really done done good things with this. They're, at the moment, they're pulling journalist tweets in and slapping them on the screen, and sometimes they'll be score score based tweets. But wouldn't it be better if you just had this thing? It said 75% of people think that Jan Blahovic is winning three rounds to one going into the last round. You know, that would be interesting. And then Rogan would be like, wow, okay, this means, you know, this means Easy's really got to go for the finish here. It gives the commentators an extra narrative. So I think it's a great thing. And uh, kudos to the guys at Verdict who they, they spoke to us years and years ago when they were first starting out. And to see them doing this, all power to them. And speaking of Rogan, Rogan's actually spoken about Verdict on his podcast, as have others like Kenny Florian and, and John Anik. Um, members of the media have been integrating Verdict. I know uh, Alexander Lee does a robbery review for MMA fighting. So it feels like Verdict in general is, is getting a lot of momentum. And it feels like you know being partnered up with a major MMA promotion is just going to elevate the number of people that perhaps download the app, get involved. Uh, and you're right, you know, listen, the UFC fan maybe maybe have missed a trick here, but there's no need, uh, there's no reason why they can't reach out to the guys at Verdict and say, hey, listen, we've seen what you're doing with the PFL. We would love to talk to you. We would love to work with you. Um, just like they've worked with, uh, you know, Fight, Fight Metric uh, in the past and, and some other independent third-party um, stat-based um, and database companies and kind of almost bought them in-house. Um, and there's no reason better at all. And one championship can't reach out and, and work with Verdict. So very interesting to see how this all plays out. But yeah, I'm very happy for the guys at Verdict. Um, I know them. They're, they're all a good bunch of lads. Um, and they've built this company from nothing. And to see where they've gone in such a short amount of time is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, what it is, it's it's a good idea, well executed. And that's that's yeah. the that is the secret of success in any field. If you if you can find a, a problem, develop a solution for it, and make it really easy to use, you're onto a winner. And uh, yeah, kudos to those guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the PFL looks this year in general because I understand that they're they're currently in the process of putting together a TV deal uh, for the UK. Um, my sources within the PFL have told me this, and uh, we don't know. They've been very tight-lipped about who it is. I've been I've been pushing them for the last three weeks, and the buggers won't tell me. But um, as soon as they do, uh, I will find out, and we will obviously talk about that here on the Brit Pack. Because as a product, I love the way they package what they do. It is it is different. It's fresh, and the format is it makes it a unique proposition within the sport of MMA. But at the end of the day, it is still fighting, so it's all good. But uh, yeah, we will find out about that in the not too distant future. Their first show. 
I believe is in April. I'm just scrolling down my my uh, my calendar to try and find it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. PFL, PFL, PFL. Week one is April 23rd, which I think is a Friday night. And they're normally Thursdays or Fridays. They've done a good job uh, with Bellator as not treading on each other's toes. They've managed to avoid each other, which has worked out quite nicely. So uh, PFL 2021 week one is April 23rd. And I do believe, he says, checking the fight card, Brendan Lockdane is on that card, taking on former former UFC fighter Shaman Marais. So um, his first fight on the card. So that'll be a, hopefully a decent time for UK viewers to watch. Main event, Anthony Showtime Pettis against Cassius Clay Collard. Uh, that'll be a good fun to a, a good fun fight to watch. That is for another day. However, let's talk about what's going on this weekend, Sandu, to wrap up this weekend's show. Very quickly, we've got a Brit in the main event. Finally, Leon Edwards is going to get a fight in the octagon for what seems like forever. Bilal Mohammed is stepping in to replace Hamzat Chimaev. Kudos to him; he's getting the opportunity that that his hard work has deserved. Two good guys in the main event. Big opportunity for both men. Leon wins, probably gets the title shot next. Bilal Mohamed wins, probably gets the number one contender fight or something close to that next time round. It's a big one, isn't it? It's huge. Finally, Leon Edwards is going to get a fight. And even though, Simon, Bilal Mohamed isn't, you know, at the upper echelon of the rankings, number one, it's, it's how Leon Edwards makes a living. It's how all these fighters make a living. And he hasn't picked up a paycheck from the UFC in, in, in quite some time. So I'm glad that, fingers crossed, fight week plays out um, okay without any hiccups and all the rest of it. And and hopefully this is a showcase for Leon Edwards because I'm picking him to win this fight. I think most people would pick him uh, to to defeat Bilal Mohamed. Um, I just feel like he's got the better resume and he, you know he's shown over time um, the last guy he lost to was the champion, Kamaru Usman, for God's sakes. And so I feel like this should be a good showcase for him. It'll be a good opportunity for perhaps for him to show um, a step up in terms of his own skill set. I hope, Simon, and again, we've spoken about this over the last couple of weeks, I'm going to feel really bad if he doesn't get a title fight after this performance, if he wins. Because, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, he fought Bilal Mohamed. And, oh, he hasn't fought someone, you know, you know, really up there in the rankings. Well, if you look at the rankings... And if you look at who is ahead of Leon Edwards right now, Gilbert Burns, Usman's already fought and beaten. Colby Covington, Usman's already fought him and beaten him. And the whole storyline about whether the Jorge Mazadel rematch is going to happen, whether Tough is going to happen. Listen, if, if Edwards wins and he can hold tight until the end of the year, great. But it'll be an absolute travesty if he has to fight again, if he was to come through this Bilal Mohammed fight with flying colors. But that's all post-fight. We'll see how, you know, where the chips may fall. I'm looking forward to the fight. We, it's been a minute since we've seen Leon Edwards compete in the UFC octagon. I'm happy for him. And I'm really interested to see where Bilal Mohammed um, uh, stacks up against the level of competition of Leon Edwards because this is a massive opportunity for him. Yeah, dead right. You're talking about the, the guys ranked above Leon right now. Colby Covington and, and Gilbert Burns. It's also worth noting that they both got finished by Kamara Usman. He he stopped both of them. Leon Edwards went the distance with Kamara Usman much, much earlier in their careers. A lot of times elapsed. So yeah, he has a, he has an L at the hands of the current champ. But that was so long ago now. So I think it is it is far enough away that there is no issue with booking a rematch whatsoever. Um Kamara Usman has said Leon Edwards is probably my toughest test at 170 pounds. This fight needs to be booked if Leon can get and win. The one thing Leon could really do with, really hammer the point home, is if he could get a finish. He's he's won the majority of his recent fights by decision. Um, I think his last three wins have all come on the scorecards. He finished Peter Sabota. He finished Albert uh, Tumenov. But his other major wins in, in his current run, Luke Barbarina, Cerrone Nelson and Dos Anjos have all come on the scorecards. If he can produce something really definitive on Saturday night, get a finish against Bilal Mohamed, which would be uh, you know, a really notable, a really notable thing for him because Bilal Mohamed has only been stopped once in his career. If he can stop Bilal Mohamed, then I think he's made he's made 
the biggest possible case that he can make. Then obviously get on the microphone and really hammer the point home. Call for that title shot and get what's yours. For Bilal Mohammed, this is this is a huge opportunity. This is a this is this is his Cinderella man moment. If he can go in there and take out Leon Edwards, then uh, he's right in the mix and all power to him as well. So looking forward to that one. That is the main event on Saturday night. I'm not sure what the event timings are for that one. Sometimes the fight nights start a little earlier, but um, we'll have to see see what the timings are for that one. But that will be BT Sport as per usual. Two more Brits on the card very quickly. Darren Stewart is taking on Eric Anders in the opening main card bout based on the list we've got right now. Card subject to change, of course. Um, and uh, Dangerous Davy Grant, Bishop Auckland's finest, will be taking on the Dangerous Jonathan Martinez uh, in a bantamweight clash on the prelims. That is UFC Fight Night. Is it 189? I want to say 189. I think it's 189. So uh, USC Vegas 21, I think it will be on, on social media. So uh, follow all the coverage online. I'll be doing bits and pieces for, for MMA Junkie all week. Sandu will be uh, bossing the socials for BT Sport as per usual. So uh, following the Brits on Saturday night, Leon Edwards, Darren Stewart, Davy Grant. Let's see if we can be talking about a hat trick of British wins next time we get behind the microphone for the Brit Pack. And that, Sandu, is that. That is the show. To support the show, the best thing you can do is go to YouTube. Go to YouTube right now. That is where we want you all to ideally be supporting us because if you like and subscribe, it helps us. We're an audio-only product there right now, but I think we're maybe weeks maybe a month or so out don't want to put a definitive timeline on it but needless to say very very soon the brit pack will be coming in video format and so we're really excited about that so go to our youtube that'd be fantastic outside of that go to spotify if you listen to us there go to apple Podcasts if you listen to us there like subscribe rate review all that good stuff it really helps uh, support us and you know it helps us get found on those particular platforms the Substack is still there the britpack.substack.com and then, of course, ultimately, you can always go to the BritPackMMA.com. And from there, everything's available to you. Social handles, where to find us, where to subscribe, where you can download and, and, and all the rest of it. If you want to follow Simon on social media, it's at SimonHead on Twitter, at SimonHeadSport on Facebook and Instagram. And yours truly, I am at SanduMMA on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Great stuff. It's been a big weekend for MMA and it's going to be a big weekend this weekend for three Brits as they get in the octagon looking to kick off their 2021 with important wins in their respective weight divisions Leon Edwards Darren Stewart David Grant all in action this weekend and the Brit Pack will be back next week to unpack it all